Hi everyone, welcome to the May 2021 edition of Aeon's Retirement Market Update podcast. As usual, I'm your host, Ricky Marsh, and for anyone wondering after last month's episode, yes, I have replaced my broken toaster, and no, toaster technology doesn't appear to have moved on at all in the last five years. In these uncertain times, I guess it's nice to know that some things never change. Later on, I'll be joined by Maddie Kane and Dovan Jones to talk about the new guidance from the FCA and the pensions regulator on providing support to members on financial matters without needing to be subject to FCA regulation, which would probably benefit from a slightly snappier title. But first, here's this month's pensions news. If you listen to our December 2020 episode, you'll know about the decision by the Treasury and the UK Statistics Authority to change the way RPI is calculated, so it'll be aligned with CPIH from February 2030 onwards. I did say at the time there may be some legal challenges on the horizon, and the trustees of three large private sector DB schemes have now confirmed that they're seeking a judicial review of this decision. The trustees have highlighted the impact on scheme members both in terms of lower increases in retirement and lower transfer values. And they've also made the point that women will suffer more due to their longer life expectancy. They also mentioned the impact on scheme finances, particularly for schemes that hold index-linked gilts, as these would be expected to fall in value with no sign of any compensation. The Treasury and the UK Statistics Authority will have a chance to issue responses before the High Court decides whether this will proceed to a full hearing. So we'll keep an eye on this and let you know what happens. A few bits and pieces on pension scams this month. The first one is from the pensions regulator, who have issued a plea to the industry to raise the alarm over suspected scams. They're worried about a fall in the number of scams being reported, and we've seen a drop of nearly 80% in reports between 2014 and 2020. There has been a slight increase in reports so far this year, but it's difficult to get a true picture of the situation if some scams are going unreported. Next up is a report from Parliament's Work and Pensions Committee on pension scams. You may recall that this was the first part of their wider three-part inquiry into the impact of pension freedoms and the protection of pension savers. They were asking for input from the industry back in September last year, and this report is a summary of their findings. The report warns that the issue of pension scams could be substantially underestimated, which links back to TPR's plea on reporting. It's also particularly scathing in its assessment of the role of online firms, saying it is immoral that tech firms are accepting payments to advertise scams and then further payment from regulators to warn about the scam. The last one's from the Pension Scams Industry Group, which has announced a new version of its Code of Good Practice on combating pension scams. Key changes here include a new letter from TPR for members considering transferring from a DB scheme to a DC scheme, and new guidance from TPR for trustees to highlight pensions-wise and encourage members to take regulated advice. This will be updated again later in the year once the new regulations supporting the Pensions Act are in place. We talk about ESG quite a lot, but out of the three letters, the S is probably the one that gets the least attention. Well, no longer. At Aon's recent Pensions Conference series, the DWP launched a call for evidence on just this issue. They're seeking views on how pension scheme trustees understand social factors and how these are included in their ESG policies. The aim is to increase understanding of what's currently being done and what more could be done to ensure both the risks and opportunities presented by social factors are adequately considered by schemes. The government will also use this information when looking at how to help trustees meet their legal obligations. This call for evidence will be open until the 16th of June. While we're on the subject of ESG, TPR's published a new climate change strategy. 
This sets out TPR's response to climate change and the ways it can help trustees to meet the resulting challenges. This comes ahead of the new regulations on climate change disclosures that are due to come into force later this year, and TPR will follow up in due course with guidance on how it will enforce those new regulations. One last thing on ESG, in case you're not all surveyed out, Aon's 2021 Global Responsible Investment Survey is now up and running. We're looking for responses from all institutional investors, and the results and analysis will be published in the summer. If you'd like to complete the survey, you can find the link in the show notes. And finally, Aeon's DC Live Week is just around the corner. Every day in the week commencing the 14th of June, we'll be hosting a variety of online virtual sessions, which will address the current needs for those working with DC pensions and financial wellbeing planning and strategy. Registration is open now, so I'll include a link for that in the show notes too. And if you'd like more information on this or any of this month's other news stories, I'll include contact details at the end. Right at the end of March, the FCA and TPR jointly published an updated guide for employers and trustees on providing support on financial matters without needing to be subject to FCA regulation. This will sit alongside the FCA's existing guide on promoting pensions to employees, and it's expected to provide clarity on how employers and trustees communicate with members on financial matters. Today I'm joined by Maddie Kane from our DC practice and Dovan Jones from our member options team to talk about the new guidance in more detail. Maddie, if I can start with you, why have the FCA and TPR put this guide out and what kind of things does it cover? Thanks, Vicky. The guide is intended to help trustees and employers identify the support they can provide for their members without the risk of straying into FCA regulated territory. Many employers and trustees will often want to help members understand their retirement options, given the complexity of the decisions that need to be taken, especially since pension freedoms. And it can be invaluable where it avoids members making poor, irreversible decisions and potentially falling victim to scams. But providing that support may cause them to unknowingly come into conflict with the FCA rules on financial promotion or the provision of regulated advice. And as such, the guide looks at topics such as avoiding financial promotions, facilitating advice, providing retirement support and giving numerical information about a DB scheme. In each case, identifying areas that should be undertaken by FCA regulated entities. And it's worth highlighting that the guide is aligned to existing legislation on this topic and is the FCA and TPR supporting commentary on how that legislation should be interpreted and where the boundary for advice versus education lies. So in this respect, we believe the guide is a positive step forward. So, Dovan, do you think there's a risk that this guide will discourage employers and trustees from providing support to their members? Rather than discouraging trustees and employers, I expect it will help them to take more informed decisions about what support to provide and how that support is structured and delivered to their members. There continues to be increasing appetite from both trustees and employers to help their members with the complex retirement decisions, and with good reason. For example, figures from Action Fraud reported a 400% increase in scams during the first lockdown, and they estimate that 30 million has been lost to pension scams since 2017. I think this guide could also encourage employers and trustees to provide additional support on the basis that there is an increased visibility and a common understanding of the rules relating to activities that are typically undertaken by pension schemes. In the recent past, some trustees had, and may still have, reservations about the provision of some types of support. This is due to the blurred lines between what constitutes advice and guidance, 
and we expect that the guide, coupled with continued support from professional advisors, will provide the trustees with the opportunity to revisit the decisions they have made in the past and look at what support they can put in place to produce better outcomes for their members. Thanks, Davan. Um, Maddie, what kind of things can employers and trustees do to support members going forward? Well, firstly, they can continue to provide information to help members understand the options for accessing their pension savings in the scheme. So, for instance, trustees can provide a member with projections of their scheme benefits at retirement. And this means that wake up retirement packs and self-service administration tools such as Aon's pension line can continue to provide the full range of data and information that is already being used by members. Secondly, and probably the part of the guide that will provide the most comfort, is that employers and trustees can continue to facilitate access to FCA regulated advice by putting in place a preferred IFA. In this respect, the FCA recognises that schemes are likely to be in a better position to identify a suitable firm with the relevant permissions and would also be better equipped to negotiate those good terms on behalf of their members. This is an area where thorough due diligence at the time of selection can pay dividends and deliver better value for members, as we've seen with the support provided for our own clients who have put preferred IFAs in place. I think the guide will give many trustees a much higher degree of comfort that it's entirely reasonable for them to be assisting their members in this way, whether that is supporting a DB member looking to transfer out or a DC member to navigate the complex range of retirement options available to them. And Davan, if we just focus on the issue of transfer values, how much detail can be given if trustees and employers decide to provide members with a transfer value quote? Well, first of all, I just want to say that for completeness, providing a member with a transfer value figure is still fine, even where the member hasn't requested it. The FCA has been clear that any factual information about the transfer value or what a member can do with it can be provided. So, for example, you can show the income achievable if a member was to purchase an annuity, but this should be illustrated using current market values based on information generally available to the public, such as via the Money Advice Services annuity comparison tool. Whereas illustrative annuities based purely on assumptions should not be provided as there is a risk that the annuity shown may not be representative of the terms currently available and therefore may steer a member towards one option over another, which is part of the regulated advice process. Information about drawdown needs more care. The guidance set out by the FCA suggests that the methodology followed by government tools is considered best practice. The FCA are comfortable for members to be directed towards online comparison sites such as the Money Advice Services Annuity Comparison Tool mentioned earlier, or for drawdown, the PensionWise Adjustable Income Tool. The guide does also leave open the door to trustees and employers referring their members to other sites, but under these circumstances, it is important that you make sure that the site or modeller you are directing members to is both balanced and objective. The FCA have said their main objective is to prevent members from transferring out of DB schemes based on misleading information that is skewed. As you'd expect from guidance though, it isn't fully prescriptive and employers and trustees will need to apply their judgment with the help of their advisors to ensure that the information they are providing to members is both balanced and objective. In response to this, we have made minor adjustments to our own online modeler, the AM Retirement Options Model, or ARAM for short, to ensure continued compliance, but fundamentally the tool continued to provide members with a very similar experience. 
So just to wrap things up, what would you say your key takeaways are for employers and trustees off the back of this guide? I guess, Dovan, if we start with you. The guide confirms that trustees and sponsors can continue to write to their pension scheme members with details of all of their options, including pension and transfer value details, to help them plan their retirement. We've been asked by some of our clients how they should confirm that their communications to members are meeting the requirements of the guides. You should consider your communications in the round, from your written communications through to online modellers if provided, so that the information that you're communicating is both balanced and objective. This is a good opportunity to review your retirement communication strategy in full and consider the type and shape of the support you could put in place for your members. For example, our experience is that the leap from generic information to formal regulated advice is too great for many pension scheme members and that educational online tools play a vital role in bridging this gap. And Maddie, how about you? In addition to the all-important communication considerations, I see this as an opportunity for employers and trustees to review their existing member support processes and strengthen them if need be. These processes may relate to, say, the selection and ongoing review of preferred IFAs, an area where the Pensions Ombudsman has provided more detail in response to the guide and most definitely worth a read in order to gain that deeper insight. This isn't likely to be a big shift in the approach being taken by many, it's just tweaking the dial. This is intended to be a non-exhaustive guide for employers and trustees. So if something doesn't feature, such as the selection of preferred drawdown providers, connect with your professional advisors who will be able to help you identify what's possible in order to continue to support members, make good choices and achieve those good outcomes in their retirement. Great. Well, I know this is an area that's been worrying some trustees and companies, so hopefully people have found that helpful and it will give them some comfort. Thanks very much to both of you for your time today. Thank you. Thanks both. Okay, that's everything for today. Thanks again to my guests, Dovan Jones and Maddie Kane, and thanks to you for listening. I'll be back next month, by which time I should be fully vaccinated. Fingers crossed for a sticker or a lollipop this time round. Didn't get one the first time. I felt very left out. If you've enjoyed this podcast, don't forget you can subscribe to the series through all the usual places, including the Apple Podcasts app and Spotify, so you never miss an episode. If you'd like more information on our retirement solutions, or you want to feature in a future podcast, you can contact me on ricky.marsh at aon.com. Otherwise, please visit our website or email talktous at aon.com.